Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adams, Madam Adams, Cindy Adams of the New York Post. I'm in it every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, four days a week, and I have been since the beginning of time. And there's many things I would like to tell you. First, I want to complain. I want to tell you that, in my view, the universe is crumbling. Middle East hatreds are killing Middle Easterners. Russia hates everyone. Putin isn't well. America is not running rich. And China is looking to devour Taiwan. Iran is a sewer. And all some judge wants is to get Donald. Get him. Kill him. Put him away. Listen, you don't like Donald? Okay, you don't like Donald. Okay, a lot of people don't like Donald. Pick who you like. But with a world in crisis, there's nothing to do but go for Donald's jugular. How about the infrastructure? Migrants, homicides, guns, crime, poverty. How about stupid congressional miseries? How about the fact that I am just bitching about a country that I love desperately? I was born here. I live here. There is no other place I'm going to be. I work here. My dog is called a Yorkie. To me, New York is heaven. People want to come from all over the world to be here. They're not rushing to get to Arizona. They want to come to New York. But for everyone in this town, this country, this world, to hit on Donald and do nothing else, okay, you don't like Donald, okay, but you cannot like Biden. We are too great a country for a cockroach like Biden. But to use up money, time, manpower, patience, legalities, on basically only one thing, get Donald. Okay, fine him. Take away his hairdresser. But just spend all this time hating, suing, fining, punishing him? We might as well be living in a banana republic. Now, Donald, the effort just to get him. New York's worst case I've seen in 60 years of law is what Alan Dershowitz told me. He's nothing to it under the law or under the fact. As to Florida, if you search hard enough, you can find evidence against anybody. I've seen stuffed fish on a plaque which says, I'd still be swimming if I'd only kept my mouth shut. <laughs> Listen, that's the problem. And Biden's home state, Delaware? Oh, an outrage. They appoint judges who return to practice and favor local people. There should be someone sniffing around. Its justice system is not a justice system trusted to do equal justice. Wait, I got a lot of problems I want to say. I want to say now that you should forget the fake horrors of Halloween. We are into the real horrors of New York streets, the city I love. Hear what's called, where is what, where is what's called elected leaders? Besides what they do is standing just in front of TV cameras. What else do they do? They travel. They're abroad. Schumer was in China. Our mayor, South America. Our governor, 
Israel. Traveling abroad when our country's tearing apart is an old political shtick. Long-gone presidents all did it. They did it in times our nation was hitting the toilet. A Paul's lone mantra, his only thing in life is to get reelected. He's not worrying about goods. He's not worrying about people coming to the store. He can't accomplish anything. Okay, so he panders to the weasels. He gets himself re-elected. That's all he has to do in life. How about accomplishing something? You can't walk the streets. You can't take the subway. You can't shop in drugstores. Anybody accomplishing anything? The mayor complains it's the governor's fault. The governor complains it's the president's fault. President complains it's the Senate's fault. A failing, falling president claims it's Donald's fault. Enough already. Enough already. It's time for all of us, not just me, to bitch and moan. And anti-Israel college displays are now all over. And you know what? They're driven by fear. Now politically correct cowards run our schools. Bill O'Reilly told me, administrators fear radical left students. In today's cancel culture, students hold power. Colleges lost control. Marist, the small institution north of New York City, the one I attended, was built by Catholic Marist brothers. This is O'Reilly telling me. He says, It has been since replaced by a left-wing campus. Its president, Dr. Kevin Weinman, hired from ultra-liberal Amherst College, said he's grappling, that's his word, he's grappling with Hamas's attack. Grappling? Hamas killed thousands of innocents. He should have repudiated Hamas. He didn't. So, how to become a professor at one of our left-leaning Ivy League universities? Easy. You just must teach your students how to write on toilet walls in Latin. Only in America, kids. Only in America. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a movie. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon with De Niro and DiCaprio, it lights up dark dealings with this land's Native Americans. DiCaprio said, My character goes down this wall of atrocity. To be authentic, we met with tribal elders and direct descendants of the victims. It was traumatizing. Back a long time ago... There was an Academy Award winner by the name of Gregory Peck. He's long gone. He starred in a movie called The Stalking Moon. And I interviewed a kid called Noland Clay. He was the then 10-year-old full-blooded Apache heir to Geronimo. He was in fifth grade at the reservation's Seven 
Mile School. Home was a brush-covered wickiup, or teepee, in Arizona's Fort Apache Indian Reservation in the White Mountains. He said to me, You know, actors on movies, on sets, we have limousines here. I never saw limousines. At home, our limousines are burrows. They pack water. They carry wood from six miles away. We ride animals like bulls or burrows. We haven't frisky horses like your Hollywood Apaches. Filming, he said, in Nevada, I went for desert hikes with other Apaches, and the professional wrangler taught me to lasso. I said, how much do you do in the movie? He said, I have no dialogue in the movie. I speak only five words. The thing was my action. The director would say, look mad now. So, playing an Indian, I'd put on a mad face. Then they'd say, walk this way, which I did. Makeup people put dirt on my face. Then, in a scene, red paint to look like I'm bloodied. The hardest for me was to look happy. I couldn't give a happy face. And after I make this movie, I go home. He said to me, I don't want Hollywood. I want to stay on the reservation. So I asked him to speak Apache, and he grinned, and he said, Kimasabi, get him up, scout. Ugh, okay. More, more. Elvis Presley. There's stuff here that you may not hear from anyone else. Elvis Presley. January brought the sudden loss of his only child, Lisa Marie Presley, age 54, model actress. Marriages to Nicolas Cage and a one and a half years she did with Michael Jackson. Her children, Riley Keough and Benjamin. Pre-lawsuits, she was sole heir to Elvis's estate. Implicated in her passing was the weight loss drug Ozempic. For $75, Manhattan's bariatric surgeon, Dr. Daniel Rosen of Weight Zen, got a copy of Lisa Marie's autopsy report from the L.A. County Coroner's Office. He says he now discounts the information that she died from that surgery. Her specific surgery, he calls, a duodenal switch, which caused her system to become strangulated. The blood supply to her got turned off. That, he said, is what's causing her death. On Rosie O'Donnell's podcast, he also said, no indicators in her blood suggest ozempic. It was all normal levels of other prescribed medications. The record, he says, needs to be set straight. 
Also, to get straight while I'm doing this, I'm saying that during the strike, you should know that actors who are striking didn't always get the money they thought they deserved. Remember a guy called the King and I, Yule Brinner? In 1973, he got $75,000 for The King and I. Hillary Swank, $3,000 for 1999's Boys Don't Cry. Dustin Hoffman, who graduated for his biggie, The Graduate, a lousy four grand. And star Harrison Ford, only $10,000 for his first Star Wars. Shirtless Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise, nine grand. And Mel Gibson grabbed a whole 15 G's for Mad Max. Listen, salaries crept up. <laughs> Talent too. Egos too. Agents and managers too. Matt Damon. Actually, Raspberry doing Avatar give him a puny $250 million. Pay attention, kids. Mother is telling you the truth. Okay, the highest ever in today's leaping and smacking and flying and running is jumping Tom Cruise. We know all that. He does the same picture over and over, and he's the highest possible. He's now on Mission Impossible. He's getting $100 million a picture. I'm coming to an end, but I want to tell you, before I interview some wonderful people, I've got some wonderful people who are going to tell us about the Diana Nyad movie. Diana Nyad made that historic swim of Cuba to Florida years ago. It is now a movie. It is now playing at the Paris Theater in New York's 58th and 6th. The movie stars Annette Benning as Diana Nyad and Jodie Foster, who plays Bonnie the coach. I am about to speak to someone who was on that swim with Diana Nyad. Okay, a little thing about John Voigt, who is saying that people are getting wrong ideas about his daughter Angelina Jolie. She is not a bad girl, he says. That image is just an act, she says. She is really not a wild person, he says. Playing bad is for her to decide. Life makes its own journey, and I think she overdoes it. She's really sweet and loving. Okay, listen, and I know this is not my business, but a photo in a recent newspaper Jamie Lee Curtis, coming up to age 65, was in a gown that was cut just around her boobs and cut just around her navel and cut just around her crotch. I mean, please, America, all for one and one for smut. I'm coming up to my station break. But here I just want to tell you, God bless us. God bless our special town. It is a very unique place. Where else can you find signs that say, keep on 
the grass. That is even after Dr. Patrick Bordeaux, the author of Escaping Addiction, Resetting the Brain for Success, tells us, quote, Cannabis cannot deal with added stress. The benefits do not last. It decreases anxiety at lower doses. It increases anxiety at higher doses. Right now, you can take a dose yourself because I'm going off for two seconds to do a station break. And then I'm going to come back and talk about Diana Nyad. I am about to speak to a friend of mine. Her name is Elaine Lafferty. Elaine Lafferty is a very well-known editor. She was also on one or maybe two, I'm not sure, she's going to correct me, of Diana Nyad's famous swims. Those famous swims are now in a movie, and the name of the movie is, what is it, Elaine? Nyad. Nyad, Nyad movie, N-Y-A-D movie, is now playing at the Paris Theatre. Annette Benning is playing Diana Nyad, who made the swims, and her faithful coach is being played by Jodie Foster. Now, Elaine Lafferty was on, she is going to explain, the companion boat. So you're going to tell me, and Elaine is my friend. That's how I know so much. The reason is, I used to speak to Diane, but you cannot speak to her now because of the strike. So I am doing this with our mutual friend, Elaine Lafferty. Okay, how long did you know Diana Nyad? Gosh, I've known her about, about 20 years. I lived in Los Angeles. She lives in Los Angeles. We had some mutual friends. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I got to know her through, you know, the, the, the 90s and the early uh, 2000s. Did you know that she was determined to make the swim? I did. I mean, I certainly knew of her when she had did the swim around Manhattan. I knew she had tried the Cuba swim a couple of times, and I knew it was always a dream, an unfulfilled dream for her to complete this swim, to, to go from, uh, from Cuba to Florida. So you actually met socially, is that it? That's correct. That's correct. We, as I say, we had some mutual friends. Um, you know, some of them used to have these weekly card games, which I do not play cards. I don't know anything about cards, but I, I lent my house to this uh, endeavor a couple of times in Los Angeles, and people played card games. Before we start going into the whole story, tell me about the film and how did you react to it? I thought the, the film was extraordinary. Um, I think Annette Benning as... Uh, as Diana Nyad is incredible, and, and Jodie Foster completely nails uh, Bonnie Stoll, her, her coach, who has been uh, her coach for all of these years. I mean, it was, uh, it was really like reliving the swim, even though I was not on the ultimately successful swim in 2013. Um, but, but all of the grueling um, hours and days and nights and nights and days through these shark-infested waters... Uh, it was it was very very accurate to what she had gone through. 
didn't people say at one point that she had faked it? There's, there's, it's not been certified, and which is really extraordinary to me that it hasn't, because I know the, the, the two swims that I was on in 2011, there was, there was no faking. I mean, everyone was so careful uh, about following all of the rules. And even in the 2013 swim, which was a successful swim when she was in the water for over 52 hours, um, there's lots of photographs as she got... Uh, to the shore in Florida, she had to stumble up on that beach by herself without anyone touching her. So there's all these photographs of Bonnie and other people shooing anybody away because you were not allowed to even help her stand up after 52 hours in the water. So I, I just I think it's um, it's it's sour grapes on on some people's parts, but she she uh, she followed the rules religiously. Wouldn't you have said, I think you told me, that you would have been, you, you let her know that you would have testified for her if anybody had actually said she faked it? I did. I did. When this movie, we had a, an exchange um, uh, recently just before the movie came out, and there were some of these questions being raised again, and I and I sent her a, an email and a text, and I said, if you need me to do anything to, to testify, I've, you know, I've been a journalist um, I was, I've never had a fact correction in my 20 years at Time Magazine. Um, I, I take the truth very, very seriously. And, uh, and she, she texted back to me and said, I hope you know how much this means to me that you would be willing to do this. So um, it, 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 it's an easy call. It's an easy call for me. It's just about telling the truth. Isn't it so that she nearly died on it? Absolutely. In, in, in 2011, um, and it's actually, to tell you the truth, Cindy, it's the reason that I did not go on the 2013 swim, because I, I know nobody has a better sense of humor than you, but as this incident was going on during 2011, uh, I thought, oh, good, I'm helping with the swim, and I'm going to be one of the people that's here while Diana dies. This is this will be great. Um, yeah. But, no, she was... She was um, in the water, um, she had an asthma attack, um, as well as having box jellyfish stings all over her body. And she was lying there, and um, in the water, we had like sort of a, a, a sort of a net underneath her, uh, so she could take a break. Um, but uh, she stopped breathing, and Bonnie and I were on, Bonnie was on one side, I was on the other. And uh, we just were screaming, Diana, Diana. And uh, finally, after what seemed an eternity, she just went, ooh, and, and, and started to breathe again. It was, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Are you saying that she actually, actually, actually stopped breathing? Yes. There was no movement from her chest. Uh, there was nothing. I mean, you you don't in those circumstances you don't exactly need to hold up a, a mirror to somebody. But for for a period, it seemed like an eternity. I don't know how long it actually was. It was a minute or so, two perhaps. But she was, um, y you know, it, it was like watching somebody leaving. Actually, like watching somebody leaving uh, this this plane. And it's like, and I remember very specifically thinking, oh my God, she's. She's dying. Um, and then the, the relief of hearing this gasp um, and, and life 
you know, you know, somehow coming back into her. It was it was an extraordinary moment. Not I a think, pleasant one, I might add, but other than the fact that she lived. I think you told me that at one point uh, they put a plank under her. I I don't understand how that happened. What does that mean? Well, it was she was she was um, in the water, but we couldn't take her onto the boat because that would have been violating um, the rules. So there was like a kind of like a, a, a stretcher. I think it was like a mesh thing. And just to make sure she didn't sink to the bottom of the ocean uh, while she was unconscious, um, it was in the water, and she was still in the water floating, um, but but just something in case she was going to start to sink uh, would, would, go to, would, you know, prevent that. No, I, I understand that. I think you also told me that there was no breath that seemed to be coming out of her mouth or her chest. You didn't see it moving or anything. That is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. She was not breathing. I mean, you know when somebody is breathing or not breathing. She was not breathing. Okay, tell me about it. Tell me about it. What was the jellyfish? We don't know what, I mean, we read about jellyfish, but can, can harm you a lot? Yes, yes. They can, they're, they're, uh, the boxed jellyfish, which is a type of jellyfish, is considered the most lethal um, a jellyfish in in the in, in the ocean, they completely set down your nervous system. Uh, one of those stings, um, you know, uh, just they're incredibly painful, uh, but they're so dangerous because they can kill you because they paralyze the entire body. Uh, that's what they do to prey. Um, they're they're predators. That's what they do to prey to immobilize their prey to feed. And uh, that's what's that's what ultimately she was. She was prepared for some normal jellyfish, but the box jellies are uh, are incredibly um, lethal. So how was she insulated against them? She wasn't. Oh. She wasn't. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. She, it's it's people were you know getting water temperatures and trying to figure out where the box jellies would be going. Ultimately, she had a mask on her face. Um, so that a, a, like a, a clear rubber mask essentially on her face so that they couldn't, you know, swim into her mouth um, oh. uh, and that at, at least protect her face from these. But they were, they were all over her body. I mean, you can, um, there's photographs of the scars that were on her body, on her back and her legs. And um, it was, it was, it was brutal. Okay. You were on, a, a, a ship, a boat, or whatever the hell it was, alongside her. Is that it? Yes. Tell tell us about that. I'm I'm not sure everyone knows how you were al- alongside. Well, there was a. There was, I don't remember the exact number of people who were on the crew, but this was a, a, a large um, boat called the Voyager, um, and equipment had navigators, had uh, crew on it. I was on there as somebody who was supposed to do the social media. For her, which I did, just posting uh, where where we were, uh, what, what coordinates we had to kind of let people know, because there was a lot of people following her, um, and that was um, that was it was only just one boat with with I think maybe thirty people on it, and then um, there were people would go out in rafts um, to kind of you know be, go through the ocean in these very small boats. Um, uh, essentially, I mean, you call the canoes, I think, but they were they were kayaks, and kind of paddle alongside 
her, you know, keeping 20 feet away from her, but kind of escorting her through uh, through the ocean. And there were different crews. Uh, we'd have like three or four kayaks go out, uh, change crews every once in a while. That's where there's so many people on the main boat. Um, and uh, keep going all through the day and all through the night. You told me that you actually reached out. Now, I don't understand that. You And you hit a shark with with something. What what, tell, what was that? <laughs> well, we had, you know, oars. You're in a kayak and you have oars, right? It's good you're paddling along. Yeah. And you look around and there's, there's little bubbles coming up around you. And then a little shark, and not so much a little one, a, very, a shark, will, you'll see them, them leaping through the water. And a couple of these sharks were coming toward the kayak. And uh, I'm not going to... Uh, use the exact words I used uh, at the time, but I was like, holy <laughs> fill in the blank. Yeah. And you see a shark coming at you and you say, I'm going to knock the hell out of you. I'm from New Jersey. What You know, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a whack on the nose. And the shark was a little startled, but ultimately... Um, we what did you hit him with? Shark. What did you hit him with? An, an oar, you know, an oar <laughs> that you paddle with. You weren't you scared? Know. You weren't scared a stupid shark is coming at you? You weren't terrified? <laughs> I'm scared, but what am I going to do? Negotiate with them? Hello, shark. Let's talk about this. What am I going to do? A shark is coming at you. You want it to go away. You want to discourage it. Let me. I'm not going to be an easy meal for you. You're going to have to go through a lot to, to have me as a meal. So you hit him and you startle him and you hope for the best. I'm not saying this is. A, I'm not prescribing this as a, what everybody should do if you have to come face to face with a shark, but it seemed like the best decision at the time for me. Okay. Tell me now, what is she doing now? I mean, did she like the movie? Did Annette Benning go to meet her? Tell me about the movie. The movie is, is terrific, and I don't know um, uh, how much contact they had, but my understanding is that both Diana and Bonnie uh, spent some time with Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Um, I think she's very pleased with the movie. Um, I think she's frustrated by not being able to talk to the press during this strike. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the and I don't know if it's it's going to Netflix uh, next month. I don't know if it's still actually at the Paris Theater in in New York, but it's coming to Netflix. Um, and no, I think they were um, I think they were very excited and very pleased and very proud of uh, and very moved by both. Uh, Jody and and uh, Annette Benning's per- portrayal of them. Tell me now, since I don't really know and I haven't yet seen it, tell us a little about the actual swim. What was the temperature of the water? How did it work when she was going for 40 hours? What was it like when she got out of the water? How did she pee? How did she eat? Tell us about the trip itself. You know, Cindy, some of the language is, was was so, um, and 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 you appreciate uh, you appreciate language. Some of the language was, was so interesting. It's time for feeding. We got to do the feeding. And I'm thinking, who are we feeding? Oh, we're feeding Diana. Uh, so she's taking nutrients through a basically a tube that goes in her mouth, and she's drinking this concoction every every few hours to keep her strength up. So that was the feedings. Uh, going to the bathroom, I think uh, she just went to the bathroom. There was okay. no uh, facilities. Yeah. Um, and she uh, 
she would, you know, she would continue to swim. If she got tired, she would uh, turn on her back occasionally just to take a little bit of a rest for no more than five or ten minutes. You mean like to and float? Be- like to float? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and and then she would uh, then she would continue continue to swim. It was. Um, it was extraordinary. You can imagine. I mean, the the, the swim that that she completed uh, in 2013 was 52 hours in the water. What was she um, like when she got out? Um, she was very. She crawled up on the beach. Uh, again, I wasn't there on the 2013 swim, but it was pretty similar on the on the 2011 swim. She crawled up on the beach. Uh, Bonnie was right by her side. There was a, a crowd of people, um, you know, so excited that she was there, but people had to keep them away from her to not touch her because that would invalidate the rules of the swim. Um, and she basically crawled up. Her face was completely swollen. Um, you know, much of her body was swollen from the, the jellyfish and the box jelly stings. Um, and uh, and then she just walked up until the swim had been validated, and then she basically... Uh, you know, collapsed and um, was, uh, you know, was 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 treated and hydrated and actual food and all of that. Um, but it was it was a uh, it, it was torturous. There's no question about it. It's something that that normal people really can't imagine doing. You told me that that she was narcissistic. Is that I mean, that's not the word. I can't think of the word. But she was determined. There was something about her, something that she had to do this she trained for it tell tell me why and how she got to do this well as i said to you i mean i think in her childhood diana had some demons um you know some some abuse that she suffered in her childhood she it was a sportscaster and a you know and always an athlete but she felt very strongly um, about the connections between countries um, and and how many people had actually escaped Cuba to come to the United States. Um, And um, she felt felt strongly about that. She feels strongly about Cuba. Um, And it's just something that was very important for her to do. Now, when I say she was narcissistic, I mean, she's self-centered. There's no question. But who wouldn't be? Um, with this kind of focus, um, she was determined. She's a, she is a very kind person, but she had her eyes on her mission, which was to complete this swim. Um, I don't think she wanted to die. I was going to say she was going to complete the swim, even if it killed her. I don't think she was suicidal at all. I think she wanted to complete this. She cares very much about people's health, uh, which is. Um, why she she now ah, none of this makes people. any sense I mean I can't understand anybody wanting to do this I mean it just doesn't make any sense it's fabulous it's heroic what is she doing now she's running a, an organization called everwalk uh, and the idea being that we need to get out and walk more that the key to health for most people is to walk and so there's these everwalk events all around the country um, and and that's what she's doing now. And I imagine that she's working on this uh, working on this movie and and helping everybody understand exactly the kind of things you're asking um, has been has been very important to her. 
Uh, her coach, um, Bonnie Stoll, is, a, is a, a wonderful coach in Los Angeles. She's a fitness coach. Um, and uh, I think that's, I mean, that's what, that's what she's doing now. Okay. I have now listened to this story. I have to go see the movie. I nearly haven't had dinner with you in at least two weeks, and I think <laughs> it's your turn to pay, okay? <laughs> always, always my, it's a privilege for me to pay. It's, it's a blessing. <laughs> yes, it is for me, too. I love you dearly, and thanks for coming on, honey. Thanks, 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 I, thanks. I love you, too, honey. Okay. Goodbye. But so first of all, uh, I am speaking with Erin Leachy. Tell me, am I pronouncing Leachy correctly? Perfect, which is not often, so I appreciate it. Like from the Leachy nuts that we used to get in Chinese restaurants? That's right, Leachy nuts. Actually, <laughs> my, my husband was in a band with his brothers called Leachy nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell to do with that one, but all right, I'm going on. How did you get on the show? How? I was introduced by a, uh, someone who was going to be on me with me, actually, uh, Lizzie. Why? Why did you? Why did you want it? I don't know. It kind of just like happened and fell into my lap, and I was like, "All right, let's let's try it." I'm a adventure. I guess I'm an adventure seeker. What did you do all these years? Did you watch the shows? I did not religiously, but um, I, I watched. I dabbled. Well, what did you think about it? What did you think that, about like, them? Well, I thought that the early years were really funny and fun and light. And what was one of the things I really liked about it. And um, when I heard and learned that they were doing a reboot and they wanted to, you know, shake things up a bit and get back to that fun levity, I was really excited to join. So how does the, what is the audition process or how does it work? You get an idea, you call, you call an agent. How does, how do the steps work? No, I mean, I didn't call an agent at all. It was, I was introduced by a friend and I spoke to um, somebody at Bravo and it just escalated from there. And then I got the offer actually on my 35th birthday. Oh my God, 35th, I'm not even 35 around the waist anymore. So what about, <laughs> what about, how do you, listen, how, what about how do you do this? You have a husband, you have a job, you have three kids. How does that work? It's hard. Um, there's a lot of juggling. I'm used to that because um, I juggle always. Like I have multiple jobs and businesses and I have a big family, a lot of kids, so I'm kind of used to juggling. This in particular was difficult logistically, but once you get the hang of it, you can kind of, you know, smooth sailing after that. I don't understand. What does it mean to be difficult logistically? Well, it's like, you know, if you're filming at 9 a.m. and then again at, you know, 7 p.m. and you have to do a pickup scene, like after some, an event happened the day before and it wasn't planned prior, you know, you have, there's a lot of maneuvering and moving parts, especially with kids that finish school at a certain time or whatever it is. So just like logistics can be challenging. 
Okay, so how do you schlep around? How do you take care of a husband who's always a pain in the ass? How do you do that plus the kids? So what do you do? You tell them I'll how see you from know three my to five. So well, he really is a pain in the ass. <laughs> no, they are. It's automatic. You start becoming a pain in the ass. After that, you become a husband. So, but <laughs> I had one. I've had. I've had that. I understand. But tell me. Tell me how you do it. If you're going out for dinner or you're going out with people and you have a, you have a pickup and your kid is crying, walk me through that. Seriously. You're like, listen, kid, you're going to have to shut up now and I'm going out <laughs> to dinner. <laughs> no. Um, you know, you just, you just figure it out. I mean, luckily, I'm, I feel like I'm very blessed to have my mom. I can call her and I can say, you know, mom, come over. I got to go out or... You know, I'll ask my sister to come by. So thank God I have a support system because otherwise I don't I don't know if I could do it. What about how you look? Did you have to change or fix anything? You know, I'm watching the show. I'm like, maybe I should fix a couple things. But I was pretty much my authentic self, I have to be honest. I do need, I do need to get a boob lift, though, after breastfeeding three kids. I'm going to need that. Why? Your breasts hang out on television? They're just, like, low and deflated. These kids ruin them. Totally ruined them. I don't really know what to do with a low deflated breast on television. <laughs> but don't you wear a schmata or something you that covers You know what you them? do? You know what you do? you, you got to get a surgery and lift them up. What is that, between commercials? When are you doing all that? I don't know. Maybe I'll do it, like, before I start filming again, if we get a second season, which we don't even know yet. So we'll see. Okay, okay. Now, we all hear, true or not, everybody will say it's not true, but I don't believe anybody. We always hear that there's so many disagreements and arguments on the show. All of that, a, a lot of it is programmed, is it not? Honestly, it's not. I what? wish more of it was. Well, what do you mean? Tell me how it works. You mean all of you bitches just hate each other? Is that it? <laughs> I mean, we come together at the end, so it's just like women can be catty and you can have disagreements and people interpret things in different ways. So it's just like, it's just natural. You know what I mean? Women are emotional creatures. No, tell me in experience so I can understand. I mean, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, the Anguilla thing with Uba and I was like a misunderstanding between the two of us. Like, I didn't know she was going to be so hurt, but she was hurt. So you learn about each other in these sort of disagreements. What What did you do that hurt her? I hid her phone from her as a prank. This is not a nice thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know that now. So what? Uh, tell me, oh, God, I want to hear all about it. So where did you hear he hide it and what happened? Tell me, tell me, tell me. So Uba had pushed me in the pool, which I thought was really funny. And I was like, okay, I'm going to prank her back. So she left it in an Uber on the way home from the restaurant. So I was like, ooh, I'll take it and I'll hide it from her. But I think it went on too long and then she got really mad. Uh, and how did you make up? We actually hugged each other at the end of the day and we talked it through and we got over it. Tell me a high you gotta spot. you got to keep it moving, you know. I, well, I guess so. I mean, I just don't understand how the housewives' things work. I think a lot of it is programmed. That's what I think, and you're telling me no. But no, that's, really not. 
You mean you're just a natural born bitch? Is that it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I guess so. Okay. Well, that's very encouraging. Okay. What do you do other than that? Other than that, you have a couple of careers. Yes, I do. I've um, been a real estate agent since I'm 19. Um, I sold four new developments by the time I was 23. I went to NYU for grad school in sustainable development. Um, I launched an interior design company in 2018 that's been really successful. And most recently, actually, as of next week, I am launching a mezcal brand. Have you ever tried mezcal? No. Tell me about it. I'm being being friendly. What? I got to get you a bottle. You got to get me a what? A bottle of mezcal. So it's like tequila, but it's a pure form of tequila. Why would I want that? Do you, do you like tequila? <laughs> no. I'm a nice, simple human being. I have a glass of wine every once in a while when nobody's watching. But I don't I don't <laughs> drink that. And do you drink this mezcal before you go on and hide people's phones? Is, yes, you, I did have mezcal that night. <laughs> you mean you can go on television after you've gotten a little stoned? Well, I, I mean, I think we're drinking on the show. Yeah. Is it the real stuff you're drinking? It's the real stuff. Nobody else is on television drinking the real stuff. They always have Coca-Cola or something or ginger ale. Nobody drinks the real stuff. You do? Well, next season I'll drink the Coca-Cola instead of the real stuff so I don't hide phones. Okay. Well, you're nervous about your first show. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I don't think I thought about it as much as I probably should have because, you know, there's a lot that comes with, you know, this this show and the fans and their perceptions. And so I wasn't, I wasn't you know, so well-versed in that world and I entered it. Well, that's, that's a statement that uh, has to be enlarged. I, I don't understand... What is it that there is? Explain to us why there's so much to do. Well, it's just um, there's a lot of, like, hate that comes out on social media. I mean, I think it's a different atmosphere now with social media because people can just say and rip you a new one and say whatever the hell they want because they're behind their phones and their, you know, computers. So it just changes the atmosphere and it allows for a lot more um, hate and and also positivity, but it's just a different world. You, it's I can't explain it. Try to explain it. What do you mean? At any moment, someone could be holding their phone and having an opinion and can release that opinion. So it's just, it's it's not the way it was when these shows first started. And, you, you know, you watch it and you move on with your life. It's like people watch it and they voice everything that they feel immediately. So sometimes it's harsh, sometimes it's really positive, sometimes they make assumptions. It's just different. What about your own friends once you started to get a little bit famous on television? Did they stay? Did they go away? Did they talk about you? I'm very, I think, blessed to have an amazing, amazing group of friends that I've had. And I grew up in the city on the Upper West Side, and I'm still friends with all of my childhood friends. So... I feel so lucky. I'm still best friends with all of them, and they're very supportive and amazing. So there was no lousy moment at all of doing this 
contentious show nothing? Oh, there were definitely lousy moments. And well, even tell more me so, then. I mean, even more so watching back and seeing, you know, the way things were perceived and the way that, you know, we came off in certain situations. That's not fun because you don't always know how you're going to be, you know, uh, portrayed and you don't always know how things are going to be perceived. You know what I mean? No, if you don't give me an example, um, you're, you're not telling me what so I can understand. I, I, I would like to understand. So, for example, um, you know, like there was a lot of stuff about me and another cast member and her not sleeping with her husband and my questions about it. They were really, they weren't, in, they weren't meant to come off in a negative, um, like, way. It wasn't, it was just curiosity. And it would kind of, was, I think it came off as more of a negative way on while watching the show as opposed to just like me being like oh i'm just surprised like why haven't you had sex in a while normal conversation that you would have with friends but you have to understand also when you're watching a show like this there's all this stuff that comes through um via the confessionals the interviews that we have so like the viewers may get more context than us at times what what uh, what do you mean i mean that's interesting what do, what do you mean so viewers watch the show and they have context from each character based on their interviews, like their private one-on-one -on -one interviews. Whereas us as, you know, people, a friend group, we don't always have that context because we don't watch those interviews until after the show comes on. Okay. Very interesting. It's like, a, I, I always say it's like a science experiment. Well, I don't really see this as a true science experiment like you guys are going to the moon, but I have enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very, very much, Erin. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Hi, this is Madam Adams back again. I've got an ending, and I'd like to just tell you that I have been on this radio program ever since it began, and I was on from one to two. I am now on from two to three. Why they changed me, I don't know. Possibly because I am getting more people who are finished having lunch, I don't know. But possibly you have to listen to me now from two to three. And if I'm not interesting, listen to me anyway. I listen to you, you have to listen to me. Listen, while the UN cluttered the city a couple of weeks ago, this ambassador asked where his wife, who came home late, had gone. She said, oh, well, I was with your secretary. He said, not possible, because I was with my secretary. I'm just telling you things I know. You can deny it. I'm just telling you what I know. Now, a chorus exists pestering Congress to expand the number of justices and circumvent the poisonous five. That might sign a death warrant for the Supreme Court. A subsequent Republican administration could then do the same and on and on and on. The Supremes would then cease to function because every citizen over 18 could be on the court so there'd be no one left to argue cases. I'm just saying. I'm just complaining. I'm just bitching. Listen, I take no sides. My side, as I've said earlier, is the United States of America.
I only ask that, since Washington is too busy to do anything actually for the people, like on poverty, lawlessness, homelessness, immigration, coronaviruses, climate change, prison reform, infrastructure, jobs, the useless presidency, and vice presidency. So at D.C.'s Oath Keepers, they are too busy to handle Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and Jim Biden. So who is doing what in Washington? Would somebody tell me? Besides that, I have another question. How about what's with education? I know a kid who is nine years old. He goes to a very progressive school. He now dates his teachers. Kvetch number two. Gun crimes factors. There are criminals in narcotics, our general mayhem, the mentally disturbed who buy them easily. Each state has different firearms procedures. Our zero VP Kamala got appointed. She is in charge now of handling gun violence. Isn't that a great idea? Considering she stiffed the border. Obviously, Sylvester Stallone wasn't available. And the season has begun. The holiday season has begun. We are soon about to have Halloween. We are soon about to Thanksgiving. So everybody is now getting happy. People are even into sex, which they haven't had before. So after sex, this woman tells him he's the worst lover she'd ever been with. So he says, listen to me, honey. With that attitude, you can now go and untie yourself. <laughs> listen, you can now untie yourself from me. I am about to hang up. I have been with you one hour. I don't know if you loved me, but I certainly love you. So please tune in to me again next Sunday at 2 o'clock, and I will drone on at that time until 3. Thanks for listening to me. <laughs> I love you. It's Cindy Adams at the New York Post and WABC.